0: Page 907 in the back of your hymn book. Then we're going to open God's Word to Romans chapter 10. 907. Article 6 The Saving Power of the Gospel. What therefore neither the light of nature nor the law can do, God accomplishes by the power of the Holy Spirit through the word of the ministry of reconciliation. This is the gospel about the Messiah through which it has pleased God to save believers in both the Old and the New Testament. Article 7, God's freedom in revealing the gospel. In the Old Testament, God revealed this secret of his will to a small number. In the New Testament, now without any distinction between peoples, he discloses it to a large number. The reason for this difference must not be ascribed to the greater worth of one nation over another or to a better use of the light of nature, but to the free, good pleasure and undeserved love of God. Therefore, those who receive so much grace... Beyond, and in spite of all they deserve, ought to acknowledge it with humble and thankful hearts. On the other hand, with the apostle, they ought to adore, but certainly not inquisitively search into, the severity and justice of God's judgments on the others who do not receive this grace. Romans chapter 10. Going to read the verses 1 to 15, Romans chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say on your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So far, the reading of God's holy word. Perhaps you've heard the Japanese proverb which says, Many roads lead up Mount Fuji, but they all reach the top. Many roads lead up Mount Fuji, but they all reach the top. This proverb is a way of expressing the viewpoint that all religions will have a positive outcome. There are those who maintain that all will be saved in the end because God Is good. Is it true that the Muslim religion is a valid pathway to salvation and heaven? Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Taoism and other isms are all valid pathways to salvation, are all religions of equal value. If I drove from here to the CN Tower in Toronto I could choose several different routes to get there. One route may be shorter than another. One might be more scenic than another. One may have heavier traffic than another. But in the end, they all lead to the same place. It doesn't really matter which road I take as long as I follow my chosen route faithfully. Is that how it is when it comes to the kingdom of heaven? Will people of all faiths be there? Is Christianity merely one of many possible paths to God? Today we want to consider Romans 10 verses 13 through 15 where the apostle reveals the saving power of the gospel. I want to draw your attention to two things. Number one, call on his name. Number two, proclaim his name. Call on his name. In Romans 10, 13, the apostle said, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 13 is a direct quote from the Old Testament prophecy of Joel. Centuries before Paul wrote his epistle to the Romans, the prophet Joel spoke of the power of God's saving grace. Joel said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, shall be saved. Article 6 of the Canons of Dort speaks of the glad tidings, the gospel concerning the Messiah, through which it has pleased God to save believers in both the Old and the New Testament. Hundreds of years before the Apostle Paul, the prophet Joel knew and loved the gospel. He understood that if people are to be saved, it's not enough that they cry out to just any deity, just any God, to be saved. Men, women, and children must cry out to the one true God. Whoever calls on the name of Yahweh shall be saved. There were periods, as you know, in Israel's history when they called on the name of Baal, or the name of Molech. Or the names of some other gods. And because of their false worship, they what? Provoked the Lord to anger. They did not call on the one true God, creator of all men and redeemer of sinners. They did not bow before the sovereignty, authority, power, and majesty of the Lord. And did the Lord say to them, well, you just go right on, go right ahead. All religions lead ultimately to the same reality. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. It doesn't matter which road you take to get there as long as you follow your chosen road faithfully. Is that what God said? Certainly not. The Lord insisted that all religious systems that deviated from his truth are false and must be rejected. He was not tolerant of false worship. In the first commandment of the Decalogue, he said, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me, before my face. He insisted that salvation could not be found in anyone else. He said that it was futile to look for salvation elsewhere. He repeatedly told the people of Israel, I am your God and Savior. I am your Redeemer and Deliverer. I am the one who can rescue you from the curse of sin. And brothers and sisters, in the prophecy of Joel, the Lord declared that His salvation was not only for Jews... But for all who call on his name, whoever or everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh, the covenant Lord, shall be saved. Although he was an Old Testament prophet, Joel's prophecy contained a universal gospel offer. The Lord had chosen the Jewish people to bring forth the Messiah. He had given them many privileges, some of which are listed in Romans 9 verses 3 through 5. Article 7 of the Canons accurately says that in the Old Testament, God revealed this mystery of His will to but a small number. For the most part, the glad tidings concerning the Messiah were limited to Israel, not because of their superiority or worthiness, but because of His grace. That the gospel was given to Israel was not because of the goodness or excellence of Israel, their greater worth, It wasn't as though they merited it in some way, that they were more worthy to receive the gospel than the nations around them. It wasn't because of their better use of the light of nature. No, the gospel given to Israel was based on the free, sovereign, good pleasure, and undeserved love of God alone. We cannot say more than that. And thankfully... The promise of salvation spoken of by the prophet Joel did not only remain with the one small nation of Israel. The promise is to all who trust him. Brothers and sisters, in our text, the Apostle Paul quoted Joel 2 verse 32 to remind us, readers, that all people have the same need and all people who hear the gospel have the opportunity to be saved if they call on the name of Jesus. Go back in your Bibles to verse 9 for a moment. Verse 9, Paul said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, or if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then in verse 13, he says, whoever or everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ is the covenant Lord spoken of by the prophet Joel. The name Jesus means what? Yahweh saves. Jehovah saves. Remember when the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to be afraid to take Mary as his wife, the angel said to him, She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That name alone achieves salvation. When the Apostle Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he also quoted these words of the prophet Joel to the crowds assembled in Jerusalem. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Acts 2.21. Now, brothers and sisters, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? What did Joel mean? And what did Paul and Peter mean when they quoted the prophet Joel? In the Old Testament, to call on the name of the Lord was to worship. For example, in Psalm 105, verse 1, the psalmist said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. It was an expression of worship and praise. In Genesis 4, verse 26, we read, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. That is to say, they worshipped him. To call on the name of the Lord is also used in the Old Testament when speaking of prayer. When the prophet Elijah challenged the priests of Baal, he said to them, You call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. In that context, to call on the name of the Lord was to pray. Then when we turn to the New Testament book of Acts, we learn that to call on the name of the Lord means that you believe in Him and trust the Lord Jesus. In Acts 9, we are told that when the unconverted Saul went to arrest Christians, he received authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. All who call on your name. In Acts 9, those who call on your name are followers of Jesus. Those who believe and trust in him. We find the same meaning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 where the Apostle Paul addressed his letter to all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. In Acts 9 and 1 Corinthians 1, to call on the name of the Lord is to believe in Jesus And follow him so if we tie all this together to call on the name of the Lord is to believe on Jesus trust in him worship him and pray to him it is to yield to him with confidence and faith to worship him as sovereign Lord to submit to his authority and to commune with him the living Savior It's not just calling on Him in times of emergency, when there is some terrifying calamity, or in times of sickness, or when we're in a bind. It's not just calling to Him to heal our wounds, solve our problems, and to get us out of a jam in times of suffering or financial crisis. No, to call on the name of the Lord is to call on Jesus as Lord, our Lord, our God, our Savior, our Master. Once again, going back to verse 9, we read, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The Lord that we call on to be saved in verse 13 is the Lord Jesus. Dear friends, Romans 10.13 is a wonderful promise to each and every one of you. Anyone who calls on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, anyone who says, I am a sinner, save me from my sin. Anyone who says, Lord Jesus, I cannot save myself and I call on you to save me, such a one will be saved. Have you done that? Have you done that? If so, you will be saved from your sin and from the wrath of God that hangs over you. The promise of verse 13 is for everyone. Repentant Muslims who hear the gospel and call on the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, Jews, Gentiles, all who recognize that salvation cannot be found in anyone else. If you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, trusting him, worshiping, praising him, praying to him, you shall be saved. While the message of the Gospel may appear to be very narrow and intolerant when it comes to other religions, it is very broad and accepting in that it invites all people everywhere to call on Jesus and be saved. Enemies of the Gospel, as Paul himself once was, enemies of the gospel can call on him and be forgiven. The immoral, the godless, the deceitful, the liar, the idolater, the fornicator, the adulterer, the homosexual, the hypocrite can call on him and be saved. Your neighbor, your friend, your coworker, your son, your daughter, Your father, your mother, your university professor, your mailman, your boss, your employee can call on his name and be saved. Yes, Christianity is narrow in that it rejects all other paths to God. But it is amazingly broad in that it embraces and promises salvation to anyone from any nation or background for all who call on his precious name. you have not done that, if you've not trusted Him, if you're not praying to Him and worshiping Him, I urge you today to repent and yield to the living Christ. Confess your need of Him. Confess your sins before Him. Believe that He alone can save you, and commit yourself to Christ. Lord's Day 11 of the Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because He saves us from our sins. Salvation cannot be found in anyone else. It is futile to look for any salvation elsewhere. And then, brothers and sisters. You can understand why the Apostle Paul emphasized the proclamation of His name. Which is point number two, proclaim his name. Verses 14 and 15 are a powerful plea for the work of missions. In verse 13, Paul said, whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can people call on him unless they know about him? And how can they know about him unless someone goes to them with the gospel? The answer is obvious. People cannot know the gospel and believe on the name of Jesus unless someone takes the gospel to them. Verses 14 and 15 are very important verses as they describe the need for gospel preaching and the need for ongoing work of missions. If there is salvation in no one else, If people cannot come to the Father except through Jesus, that means that there must be missionaries who make his name known so that people can believe and call on him for salvation. Paul is saying that if there were no missionaries, no one could hear. And if no one could hear, no one could believe. And if no one could believe, no one could call on Jesus. And if no one could call on the Lord Jesus, no one could be saved. Brothers and sisters, The great missionaries in the history of the church were absolutely convinced that Jesus is the only way. They also believed that God used people to make his name known. He used his church to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. God did not bring his gospel to the nations through a voice from heaven. He did not speak from the clouds. He called and appointed his servants to proclaim his saving message. The first American missionary to go overseas was Adoniram Judson. He and his wife Anne endured painful tropical diseases as well as vicious opposition and imprisonment under the cruel king of Burma. They labored for seven years before seeing their first convert from Buddhism. They lost children to disease, and Adoniram's faithful wife and fellow laborer died on the mission field when she was only 36 years old. Yet by the time Adoniram died in 1850, there were over 100,000 baptized church members from the Karen tribe. I have read that to this day, the mostly Christian Karen people are an island of Christianity in a sea of Buddhism the fruit of Judson's work 150 years later. The Judsons were willing to endure all manner of hardship because they believed that God had sent them with the gospel of peace. Without messengers of the gospel and the ministry of reconciliation, no one could be saved. Many missionaries of the 19th century died young or their wives died young Hudson Taylor's wife Maria died at the age of 33. William Carey buried two wives in India. Adoniram Judson lost two wives to disease in Burma. David Livingstone buried his wife Mary in the Zambezi Valley. She died of malaria. Johann Krumpf, missionary to East Africa, lost his wife and both children to disease within months of arriving in Africa. Do you know what the average life expectancy was of a missionary to Africa? Eight years. Eight years. And yet it is said that in the 19th century, when going to Africa meant going to almost certain early death, there were numerous missionary volunteers. You see, brothers and sisters, those men and their wives believe that there's only one way to the Father. Only one way. Jesus is the way. And it was their task and calling to preach the gospel about the Messiah. How shall they hear without a preacher? The Apostle Paul himself was a bold, zealous, faithful missionary proclaiming the name of Jesus. He gave his life for the gospel as an ambassador of Christ. If Christianity is merely one of many possible paths to God, then Paul was wasting his time traveling to Philippi, Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, Rome, and so on. He wasted a good portion of his life. He was beaten, stoned, mocked, hated, even imprisoned. Why? If Christianity is just one of many ways to heaven... Why bother preaching the gospel of Christ to those who may be hostile to it? It's pointless. Congregation, the Apostle Paul and many others who have followed in his footsteps as ambassadors of Jesus knew that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus if God is to be glorified through the salvation and worship of His people, then there must be those who will preach the saving power of Jesus. According to verse 15, a preacher must be sent. A preacher must be sent. Who sends preachers? Well, the obvious answer is that God does. The Lord of the harvest sends out laborers into his harvest field. It is God who chooses, appoints, and sends. But we also find in the New Testament that preachers are sent by the church. In Acts 13, we read that the church in Antioch laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them away. Messengers, preachers, missionaries are sent by God through the church. That is our calling still today, to train, equip, and send them out to proclaim the Savior. If the millions of unreached people throughout the world are to hear the gospel and have the opportunity to call on the name of Jesus, the church must send God's messengers to them. In verse 15, Paul says that the messengers of good news are precious and beautiful he quotes Isaiah 52 verse 7 how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace who bring good tidings who proclaim salvation their dirty worn blistered wrinkled leathery scarred feet are beautiful beautiful For they have carried the good news many miles into remote places where the message could not be heard any other way. Now, in the context of Isaiah's prophecy, the beautiful feet were the feet of those who ran to announce the fall of Israel's enemies. In the book of Isaiah, the Israelites had been in captivity, in bondage, in Babylon. A runner who appeared on the hills to announce Israel's deliverance was greatly welcomed. His dirty, smelly feet were beautiful, for they carried a message of hope, freedom, and deliverance. What a joy it was to see him. His coming implied the release of prisoners because Babylon had fallen. The salvation of Israel from their enemies was good news. But congregation, Isaiah 52, verse 7, was more than just an announcement of salvation from earthly enemies. It also foreshadowed the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah's prophecy pictured the messengers of Christ announcing his victory throughout the world. Isaiah's prophecy anticipated the messengers of the cross whose feet are truly beautiful because they carry the gospel of peace, which is the most beautiful message in the world. Paul's feet were beautiful, for they were the feet of one who brought glad tidings of good things. He brought the gospel of peace, peace between man and God through the prince of peace. Adoniram Judson's feet were beautiful, For they were the feet of one who proclaimed Jesus to the people of Burma. Hudson Taylor's feet were beautiful, for they carried the gospel to China. William Carey's beautiful feet carried the good news to India. Those who are sent by God through his church today also have beautiful feet. For they carry a beautiful message to an ugly world in bondage, the slavery of sin. We ought to pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up many in our generation with beautiful feet so that sinners may hear, believe, and call on his name. We ought to pray that the Lord of the harvest will raise up men from our churches to be ambassadors so that God will be glorified through the salvation and worship of his redeemed. Every so often we are reminded of the many who die in earthquakes, floods, and various disasters. In some nations the stench of death is everywhere. It is said in the recent earthquake in in Turkey and Syria between forty and 50,000 people died. And what about the Syrian civil war? I I really don't know how accurate the figures are but some have estimated that between 500 and 600,000 people have died. I wonder how many of those who died have never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of those who perished in the recent earthquake, how many of them have not believed because they have not heard because there has been no preacher? How many of them were unprepared to stand before their Creator and Judge because they never received the glad tidings of good things? Article 7 of the Canons reminds us that the Lord sovereignly determines where the gospel will and will not be proclaimed. Nevertheless, the responsibility is given to the church to go into all the world. How many people are lost forever because all their lives they've worshipped and served false gods? In their ignorance, they've bowed before idols of wood and stone. They've looked for salvation and security in the wrong places and put their trust in gods that cannot save. How many of them have never heard the true message of Christ and Him crucified? And how many who have learned of Him have heard a distorted message and a twisted gospel so that they never possess true saving faith in Jesus? Dear friends, we need more faithful messengers, preachers, faithful ambassadors, more young men, more beautiful feet to preach the gospel of peace for the glory of God and the salvation of the nations. And then congregation. Even though we cannot all be foreign missionaries, preachers, and teachers, isn't there a sense in which Every Christian, every Christian is a servant of Christ and called to be a witness for him. Not all Christians are called, ordained, and sent by God and his church to preach the gospel of peace, but all are called to be active participants in fulfilling the great commission to go and make disciples of all the nations. Don't we all have opportunities to speak to others about Jesus and what he has done for sinners? Don't we all have opportunities to invite them to church? Don't we all have opportunities to pray for and support those whom the Lord has called and sent? Seems to be a rather popular notion today that God doesn't doesn't care so much what you believe as long as you're sincere. Consequently, Christians who believe that Jesus is the only way to God are considered narrow-minded. Some insist that Christians should not say that our beliefs are right and all others are wrong. It is argued that Christianity should be broad enough to embrace all kinds of beliefs. Pluralism and diversity should be respected. To insist that Jesus is the only way is outmoded, unenlightened, and hopelessly intolerant. To contradict the relativistic values of modern culture is arrogant and insensitive. It is said that Christianity ought to be broad enough to accommodate widely differing, even contradictory belief systems. But what does the Bible say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus in John 14. The Apostle Peter said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. The Apostle Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is no misunderstanding these verses. Christianity makes an exclusive claim. Jesus said that he's the only way to God. There's no salvation apart from him. He's not a way to God. He is the way to God. Any attempt to find another way is folly. For all other roads lead to despair, death, and hell. There's no other religious message that is capable of restoring us to fellowship with God. Since Jesus claimed to be the exclusive way, we have no right to embrace any other. Yes, we are to treat all people with dignity and respect as image bearers regardless of their religious beliefs, but we are not to accept all religions as equally valid. At a time when pluralism and tolerance are considered supreme virtues by the secular world, we are to declare with conviction that Christ is the only way to heaven, the only path to God, the only way to be reconciled with the Father. Christianity is unique. Christianity is unique. In our postmodern age, many insist that there's no such thing as absolute, objective, or universal truth. One person's perspective as truth is ultimately just as good as another's. Every opinion should be shown equal respect. Postmodernism sounds very broad-minded and charitable. But the postmodern belief system is utterly intolerant when it comes to the exclusive claims of the gospel. The Bible makes exclusive, universal truth claims, declaring all other belief systems invalid. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. How clear is that? Brothers and sisters, if all religious roads lead to heaven, then there's no great urgency for the gospel to go forth. And there's certainly no point in dying for the gospel. and another faith will lead you to God, suffering or dying for the gospel would be utterly foolish. But if there's only one road to heaven, and millions of people have never heard of Christ as the only way to God, then the work of missions is extremely, vitally important. The ones who call in the name of Jesus are the ones who will be saved. Those who have not heard cannot call, and those who cannot call cannot come to the Father. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. The congregation, may the Lord use each one of us in our praying, giving, and witnessing to exalt His name through the salvation and worship of His elect. May the Lord of the harvest raise up young men from our churches with beautiful feet who carry the gospel of peace to the unreached regions of the earth so that the words of the psalmist may be fulfilled. Psalm 67, you sang it a moment ago. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. God shall bless us. And all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Yes, Jesus is the only way. Then so May the Lord use each one of you to make that precious name known. So that the nations may be glad and sing for joy. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise Praise you. Let's pray. Lord, our God, will you remind each and every one of us here this afternoon that it is a tremendous privilege to participate in the task that you have given to your church. Will you forgive us, Lord, when we see it as as an inconvenience? When we don't want to be bothered, when we don't want to go outside our comfort zone, forgive us for our complacency. Empower us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. It's still in our hearts that deep conviction that Jesus is the only way. And with that conviction in our heart, may we go forth with compassion and love and eagerness to make the name of Christ known. Lord, we have many people right here in our own community, in our own neighborhood who do not know you. Give us the desire, Lord, to, to take the time to speak with them. Give us opportunities that we may engage a conversation with our, with our neighbors, with people in our community, with people at our grocery store and gas station, people at the lumber yard, trades, sub-trades coming who do work for us. May we have opportunity to speak to them about the one who gave his life and rose again for sinners. Use this church. Lord, it would be your will that you would raise up our men with beautiful feet to proclaim the gospel of peace, the ministry of reconciliation. May we as a church be faithful, Lord, because we know that if we're not serious about the Great, great Commission, we will stagnate, become just another social club. And so give us a heart, not only for each other, but a heart for the lost. Receive our praises as we conclude this service. In the name of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.